Well, I have a friend who uh, says he would not hesitate to give his life for his friends. Well, that's at least what he says, and we've never put him to the test yet. Um, that's, uh, I mean, that, 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 that sort of sacrifice, we actually do hear a lot. Um, uh, most sacrifice, uh, the mothers are sacrificing uh, themselves for their children, or soldiers going into the line of fire to save their friends. Father Maximilian Kolbe, I don't know if you've heard of him, in Auschwitz, who stood um, in for a stranger who was about to die. And finally, my favorite story of all, the tragic story of Jack and Rose in Titanic, where Jack sacrificed that space on that floating raft so that Rose could stay on it. So this is the picture. So Rose stayed dry while he froze to death, but it always seemed to me that it's a... there was enough space for two, and you can tell, you can see this is this is a proof that there was enough sp- a space for two that they didn't need to die. Uh, Jack didn't have to sacrifice his life. But anyway, well, I'm sure there's each one um, for each one of us. There's something that we love more than our life itself. Something that we don't want to give up that we wouldn't want to give up. We, we think this is important even more than my life. Well, for Abraham, that was probably Isaac, the son who was born at the age of 100 of his years. And, 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 and in chapter 21, one chapter before our current chapter, Isaac was the definition of a miracle baby. We could move to the first point because that's distracting now. <laughs> um, Isaac was a miracle baby. I remember Sarah, the first thing that we were told about Sarah was that she was barren. Sarah had longed to give birth to a child because in that culture, women's value was determined by how many sons that she could bear for the husband. But she was barren and, her, and, and we, we find that she was past the age of menopause and really old. But in chapter 21... At the age of 90, Sarah gives birth to Isaac, to a healthy son. He was the definition of a miracle baby. And God knows exactly what is asking of Abraham when he says that he should give up his son. Remember Ishmael. Ishmael also in chapter 21, after Isaac is born, is given away. Now, he, Abraham really only has one son. And we can see how, how God, we can see this uh, in how God commands Abraham to give up his son. So uh, take a look at verse 2. This is how God commands Abraham. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Right? Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Everybody knows uh, how Abraham loved his son. And the narrator of the story does not miss an opportunity to refer to Isaac as his son. Abraham as his father. See verse 3. It's his son. Give up. His son. Verse 6. Father. It's actually uh, in in Hebrew. uh, My father. Which is a bit like Abba. You know, that, 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 that familiar word for father. 
And Abraham answers, yes, my son. It's repeated again and again in verse 19, bound his son, slayed his son. In verse 12, your son, your only son. In verse 13, his son. And again in verse 16, it's uh, his son. It's his son, his only son, the son that he loved, that God is asking to give up. And the way that it's written also certainly uh, emphasizes how difficult it, mu- it must have been for Abraham to give up his son. You see how, the, how fast the pace is in the, in the very beginning of the story. Verse 3, it says, early next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. The story moves along and every, not very uh, 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 much detail is given to us. All the conversations that he might have had were not told. In verse 4, we're already on the third day. But the pace is interrupted to, uh, for us to overhear this conversation between Isaac and Abraham. In verse 7, my father, yes, my son. And then in verses 9 through 11, the, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's in slow motion. The narrative is in slow motion and every detail is recorded. Verse 9, he built the altar, he arranged the wood, laid him on the altar, on the top of the wood, he reached out his hand and took his knife, right? Everything slows down to emphasize the difficulty that Abraham is having in slaying his own son. And how much, emphasize how much Abraham must have loved his son. The story isn't about sacrifice of Isaac, it's about sacrifice of Abraham. Sacrifice uh, uh, of the, the thing that he loved the most in his life. Abraham's present in the sense that he probably lived for him. Abraham's future in the sense that every hope that he has of the future is, laying, is lying on him. And his vision of the future is about Isaac. It's about Abraham and what Abraham is willing to sacrifice. And in the story, the principle of sacrifice is given to all of us as well. God doesn't ask the worshippers to give up something for him. Things that we do not treasure or we do not value. Rather, God requires the worshippers to sacrifice the thing that we love the most. All of our lives, all of our lives, even the things that we think is even more important than my life itself. Remember Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel, how God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not uh, Cain's. And you see how in verse 2, God tells Abraham to go to the region of Moriah. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, Moriah is where the temple is built, where Jerusalem is and where the temple is built. Where not only Abraham, but his descendants for centuries will bring their sacrifices um, with uh, sacrifices of animals. The principle is the same for them. They are to sacrifice something that is costly, an animal that is without defect, animal that is costly for them. Symbolically, also, God in Exodus chapter 22 and 29, uh, 22, 29, will ask, God will ask all the Israelites to dedicate their firstborn to God. All the firstborn is supposed to be God's because God had saved them in Exodus. 
And prophets later on, like Malachi, will rail on, uh, 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 criticize Israel for Israelites bringing lame and, 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 uh, and defected animals as sacrifices. When God makes us, God asks us to sacrifice, these are supposed to be things that are the best, things that are the first, things that are valuable to all of us. And of course, this isn't just the uh, commandment in the Old Testament. Christ allows no rival loyalties to him, no holding back from his disciples. Jesus asks us uh, to give up our mothers and fathers, our children, our life, and to follow him. The Christian is to offer his entire life. Remember Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to all of our lives as living sacrifices to God. We are to offer our our very lives to God. But once again, that is the principle of sacrifice. But so often we give our leftovers to God, don't we? Leftover time, leftover money, leftover energy, leftover dreams. A lot of people become Christian, I mean, a lot of people become pastors um, because they can't be anything else. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to be missionaries because they can't be anything else. They give up their leftover dreams because they couldn't do something for God before. We act as if we don't know what sacrifice actually means, that it's supposed to cost us something, that it is something that is valuable to us. We act as if we don't know what following Jesus means, what Jesus demands from us. So, as before, what is the thing that is most valuable to you? And have you offered that to God as well? What is the thing that you don't think you, can, you can't live without? For Abraham, it might have been his son. He might have been so attached to his son that he loved Isaac more than uh, God who gave him that son. God knew this, and so God tested Abraham. And the test was to give him back the son that he gave him, to sacrifice him so that he might be reminded of the most precious relationship that he had in his life, his relationship with God himself. And you think that might have been very, very cruel, um, the way he does this. But in fact, this is, I think, necessary in many ways. God has given us good things in our lives, and it's okay to enjoy them. In fact, it is a must. It's imperative that we must enjoy the good things that God has given us. But in the end, we have to thank God for these good and perfect gifts and not mistake the gifts for God himself. It's God in all of these good gifts. It's God that we must enjoy. And the thing is, there are times in your life, we don't know exactly why, but God will test you on your faith. When things that you love the most in your life are threatened or are taken away. And you must remember that in these trials, the quality of your faith is tested. It's proven. And you must remember that actually when you became a Christian, you have left everything to follow Jesus. That it is Him that you value the most. 
that it is him that you seek. And this is uh, what Peter wrote to those suffering um, uh, at the time of severe uh, persecution. 1 Peter 1, 6-8, this is what he says. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now, you've, uh, now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even, even, uh, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The things that you love the most in this world will not last. And they are only good because God is good. Because they're a reflection of who God is. And at these times of trials, I hope you will find, you will, you'll be found, your faith will be proven genuine. That you are, that, that you are you, um, willing to sacrifice these things. That these things are, um, um, that, they, that, um, that you will um, remind, you'll remember that faith in Christ is the most important thing in your life. That these things actually can be taken away because you have God. You have relationship with God because God has offered himself to you. That faith in him and the, good, the goodness that you find in him is the most important thing. That you are able to give up others. If you haven't faced these trials in your life, you will at some point in your life. The thing that you, that you love the most will be either threatened to be taken away or will be taken away. And I pray that you, at, the, at those times, your faith will be proven genuine because it is, um, it is much more, uh, it's greater worth than gold, that faith that you have in, in, in God and, and um, the relationship that you have in God. And Abraham is a shining example of that faith. What's amazing is in all of that, how readily he gives up his son. And verse 3 tells us how um, he got up early the next morning. Perhaps he asked the question whether the command was from God or not. After all, he's asking um, him to sacrifice his own son, whom he had given um, perhaps he had a heated conversation with Sarah. We're not told, we're not told uh, of all of this, but we are told of his unflinching obedience of faith. Early next morning, he got up and loaded up his donkey. And when he could see Mount Moriah, he sent his helpers back with these words in verse 4. Stay here with donkey while I and the boys go up there. We'll worship and we'll come back. And did you notice the we in that sentence? He, he says, we're going to worship and then we're going to come back. And when the two of them were walking side by side, Isaac questions his, his dad. Father, oh yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide this lamb. God will provide this lamb. Is Abraham lying to Isaac? Is Abraham just telling him something to assuage his worries? Well, the Bible itself has an interpretation of this event. If you turn to Hebrew 11, Hebrew 11, 17 through 19, this is what he says. Hebrew 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
he who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his, his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be, re- will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise his son so that in the manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from dead. You see, Abraham um, had faith in God's promise. Abraham remembered how God had called him out of Ur and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he remembered how that promise was confirmed in chapter 15 and again in chapter 17. He remembered how barren Sarah's womb had been and how dead that womb had been. And how from the deadness of that womb, God brought Isaac into his life. And he remembered the promise that through Isaac, all nations will be blessed, that he will make a great nation out of him. So he didn't understand exactly how this was going to happen. But even as God asked him to slay his son, even if Isaac had been killed, he believed in the promise and believed that God could bring him back from the dead. After all that friendship, years of friendship with God, he trusted God. He trusted God to fulfill the promise that he had made to, uh, to, to him. So Abraham reasoned that if God was going to sacrifice, God was asking him to sacrifice Isaac, that he would bring him back from the dead. So I think this is very important. What made his sacrifice of his son possible was his faith in the promise. Faith in the promise. He knew in a way he couldn't lose Isaac. Because God had promised that God will keep that promise, he could give up his son because he knew that he would have him back somehow. And isn't that just how the gospel works uh, for all of us? When Jesus commands us to leave everything and to follow him, the call isn't given in a vacuum. It's given in that relationship with him. In the context of his life, death, and the resurrection, in the context of his numerous promises, remember all these promises, seek God's kingdom first, and everything will be given to you. We seek God's kingdom because everything will be given to us, because we trust in that promise. Jesus tells us not to worry. The reason why we don't worry is because, he says, our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need, and he will provide us with all the things that we need. Ask whatever in my name, it will be given to you. Kingdom is like a pearl that you sell everything that you have to buy it because it is that valuable. Whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. That's the promise. Jesus asks us to give up our life, all the things that we have, because he has already promised us that he will give us everything that we need. That's the gospel call. These promises are given to us. And in a way, that's why we're able to live all of our lives for God. And that's why so for so many people who have given up everything that they have, do not consider giving up their sacrifice. Why it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. This is the uh, words of David Livingston, probably one of the most famous missionaries to Africa as he spoke to a group of Cambridge students in 1857. This is what he said about sacrifice. You've made so much sacrifice, haven't you? People talk of sacrifice 
I made, uh, that I made in spending so much of my life in Africa, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to think. But let this be just for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Here is a man who has given up all of his life. A great life in England to give, to be a missionary, missionary in Africa. He has given up not only himself, but his family and all the privileges that he could have living in England. His family went with him. And, um, his, uh, um, uh, but, but at the end of the day, he doesn't call all the things that he did a sacrifice because of his vision of life stretches back to the promise that God had given him of the new creation, of the glory that will be revealed in him. He says, I never made a sacrifice. Are you certain of the promises that God has given you? And if you are, the way that you live your life, does that reflect the fact that you have given up everything for God? Do you live, do you spend your time in a way that reflects that, that you trust in that promise? Do you spend your money? Do you spend, uh, if you're a student, thinking about what to live for? Have you really given up everything? Because God promises everything back as you give up your life. God gives you the only life that's worth living. And finally, as mentioned before, Israelites offer sacrifices at Mount Moriah in the temple courts for centuries to come. And these sacrifices were substitutionary. Instead of offering their own lives, God, uh, which God could claim because of their own sin, they laid hands on this ram and they, they killed the ram instead. These were substitutionary. And through these sacrifices, worshippers found acceptance with God. And this story that we read in Genesis chapter 22 is also a, st- a story of substitution, isn't it? As Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his own son, God calls him urgently, not just once, twice, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld um, your son, your only son. So God provided a ram in the place of Isaac. And the place now was called the Lord provides. The Lord will provide. And the story foretells the coming of the great substitution that we'll have in Jesus. Just look at what Isaac is called. If you think about his only son, the son that he loves, is not what God calls his own son, his only son whom he loves. And people see the prefigure of Christ in in verse 6 as well. Isaac carried the wood on his shoulders to the place of his death. And just like Jesus 2,000 years later will carry the wood upon his shoulders to to Golgotha. And Isaac asks about the lamb in verse 7. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Jesus is called the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. 
And just as Isaac is bound and placed on top of a wood, Jesus is nailed and placed on the top of the wood. But in the story of God's son, he dies. There's no substitution for him. For he is the substitute for the humankind. There's no provision of lamb for him because he is the provision for all of us. Abraham was commended in verse 12 for not withholding his son. Paul had this word withhold in mind when he wrote Romans 8.32. Who he did not, he who did not spare, who, who did not withhold his son, his own son, and but gave him up for us all. Although God provided a substitute for Isaac, God did not withhold his own son and let his son die in the place called God will provide. God will provide. And God has provided for the work of salvation for all of us. God has provided the ultimate substitute for all of us. In the place where we were supposed to die because of our own sin, God provided Jesus Christ so he would die our death. And going back to our first and second point, we do not hold withhold anything back, the most important things in our lives back from God because God did not spare his own son. And through him, he promises everything for us. You know, in verse 12, um, God knew that Abraham, God says, now I know that you fear me because you did not withhold your own son. What's amazing is that we have uh, even a greater motivation to, uh, to, to obey God. Our obedience is not just fear. After the provision of the cross, not only do we fear him, we obey him because we love him, because he has given himself up for us, because we're moved by his great sacrifice for all of us. So if you can turn back to First uh, John chapter 4. I just want to end um, with this. First John chapter 4. It's uh, all the way towards the very end. First John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. John writes, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We give up our lives. We We do all the things that God asks us to do, not because we fear him, but because we, are, we love him, because of the things that he has done for us, because he did not spare his own son. And may our lives, the way that we do everything, the purpose of our lives, the way that we spend our life, who our friends are, what we do in our t- off time, what we do uh, in our jobs, how we do our jobs, in, uh, in the way that we spend our, uh, our money, and all of that, we pray, I pray, that, we will ref- that will re- those things will reflect our great love for God who has first loved us. Amen.